All right, you guys, if you want to find that seat and open up that Bible to John chapter 21. Once you get there, you can stand with me and I'll read it. Starting in verse 18. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he'd spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who's the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. And as we wrap up the book of John, our final teaching in John A couple weeks from now, we'll be getting into the book of Acts, and so it really continues the story. It really continues the life of the disciples, the apostles, as they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they go about the world testifying of the risen Lord. Um, But it does have a bit of a concluding tone to it as John wraps up this book and gives a little bit of kind of a foreshadowing of what the end of Peter's life will look like, what the end of... John's life may look like what these heroes of the faith uh, look towards the conclusion of their life. I appreciate that, you know. Um, I love a good hero. You know, I love a good hero of the faith. I love a good hero in real life. You know, I'm a bit of a historian. I want to say historian, but that's not it, because that would mean, like, I actually study a lot um, or have some degree. Uh, I'm a history buff. Uh, Buff would imply I'm muscular, so that's out. So, I don't know. I like history, I guess. And uh, I love, um, you know, following different pages on Facebook concerning like World War II battlefields, you know, and, and uh, Civil War battlefields or things and pictures of the men that were there and just appreciate those brave men, you know, that went before and, and fought for our freedom. And, and uh, I, on one of the pages, it's a Gettysburg um, pictures page, and it shows like pictures from the 1931 Gettysburg reunion from some of these soldiers that survived and lived, you know, however long that's been, some 50, 60 years since Gettysburg. And, and they're these old men now, you know, there's a couple of them left and they've got long white beards and they're wearing their old uniform that fits a whole lot more snugly now than it used to, you know, and, and they're eating lunch together and they're shaking hands and there's peace. And some of them are friends. There's one picture I saw this week of, of an old Confederate sitting on the lap of an old union guy, you know, and they're like, hey, we're buddies, you know, or whatever. And I uh, appreciate that. Another one that I follow is an old, uh, well, it's a guy that he's an author and he goes around and interviews some of the final surviving World War II veterans. And he's got this M1 Garand rifle that 
Um, he has every veteran sign with a, a white pencil or a white pen. And this, this rifle is now covered with these signatures. And these guys tell their story, you know. It's just kind of an interesting thing. And, and as you read the book of Hebrews chapter 11, you read of all the heroes that have gone before us. The heroes of the faith who accomplished great things because they trusted in the Lord. The Lord worked through them mightily and radically. And, and the end of that chapter of the hall of faith, the hall of faith or the hall of fame for Christians, uh, it has this incredible conclusion where it says, but all these guys that went before us were not made perfect without us. God also having something for us to do, you know, and I always appreciated that as we come to the conclusion of this book, you know, there's almost this like to be continued and you could go into the book of Acts and see how that is continued. And, but then when you get to the end of the book of Acts, it's almost like it's not over. That's why, you know, there's one movement called the Acts 29 movement. And it's saying, you know, it's essentially saying like Acts 28 wasn't the end. Like we're living Acts 29 now. And, and God wants to do something through us as well. And so as we look at some of these heroes of the faith, I really appreciate a guy like Peter. And I really appreciate a guy like John. These heroes of the faith who went and walked in the commission of the Lord on their life. Now really those, the commission went two different ways. Peter's is going to be a whole lot different than John. Uh, Peter's end of life is going to be a whole lot different from John. And we're going to see that a little bit as we wrap up the book here. But we're basically picking up on, on three weeks of going through this Sea of Galilee series, the end of the Gospel of John. So you may be middle of the story for some of you. I apologize for that. But essentially, Jesus died, rose from the dead, told the disciples to go meet him in Galilee at the Sea of Galilee. And, and he's had this awesome surprise visit, you know, and surprised them with a fish breakfast. And he had a little time of restoring Peter last week and encouraging him, even though he had epically failed in denying the Lord Jesus God wasn't done with him, you know. God doesn't, uh, you know, dismiss us when we fail him. He's a God of second chances and third chances, and he restores us and uses us and calls us and commissions us, as he does with uh, Peter here in John 21. And now the conversation continues with Peter, and we're in verse 18 while that conversation keeps going, where, he, where Jesus tells Peter a glimpse into his future, saying, most assuredly... Truly, I tell you, maybe your Bible says truly, truly. By the way, when Jesus says truly, truly, yeah, like it's probably going to happen. I'm just letting you know. Uh, most assuredly, I say to you, Peter, when you were younger, just a little little Simon, you know, running around, you know, or, or a young, strong Simon, you used to gird yourself, right? You girded yourself. You clothed yourself. And you walked wherever you wished. Or as one translation, the Phillips translation says, when you were younger, you used to dress yourself and go wherever you liked. Some of us remember those days. I remember dressing myself, you know. Um, but uh, just going wherever you want. That was a good benefit of being young. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carrying you where you do not wish. Now, Maybe at first reading, you might read that and be like, ah, it's the way that everyone must go, you know, the way of the aged. And, uh, you know, oh, this is just a foreshadowing of early onset dementia for Peter, you know, or Alzheimer's or a stroke or something that, ah, oh, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and go wherever you want, but someone's going to have to clothe you later in life and walk you around. And, and Peter would probably be like, well, that happens to like everybody, doesn't it? You know, what's so special about that? You know, as King David, right? King David, the mighty warrior king, 
You know, Saul would kill his thousands, but David could kill his ten thousands. Such a warrior. But later on in King David's life, by 2 Samuel 21, verses 15 through 17, you see that David gets in a battle and one of Goliath's sons comes after him to kill him. And David is getting old and in the midst of the battle, he just can't do it anymore. And they surround him and they get ready to kill him. And the guys come and they rescue David and they bring him out of that battle. And they say to him, look, Navy, you know, you can't do this anymore. Like we can't let the lamp of Israel be extinguished. We love you too much. You're the figurehead. Man, we got to keep you safe. No more, no more fighty fighty for you. Okay. And, uh, and then, you know, that just shows like even little David play on your harp. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Little David, you know, even little David became old little David and his fingers weren't as nimble on the harp anymore, you know? And even first Kings tells us in chapter one that King David got old advanced in years and they put covers on him and he could not get warm and many of you here are like amen i got that problem you know i got my electric blanket on high tonight and can't stay warm and you know david just went the way that all the guys go getting old right circulation's poor can't fight the battles anymore you know is that what jesus is speaking of is oh peter you're gonna go the way of everyone Boy, what a thanks for that prophecy over me, you know, uh, or thankful for John's commentary when John goes on to say just a little bit there in verse 19, Jesus spoke not so much about any old timer stuff, but about the type of death that he would glorify God with. Okay. So remember in John chapter 13, when Jesus began to speak of all the disciples fleeing from him. And Peter gets all like courageous and is like, I'll never deny you and I'll go to prison and even die if I have to. Uh, Jesus says, hey, I'm going away and where I go, you can't come. And Peter says, where are you going, Lord? Uh, where are you going? And Jesus says, where I'm going, you can't follow me now. But Peter, you will follow me afterward. Okay, you're gonna deny me. You're not gonna be able to follow me. I'm going to the cross. You're not going to the cross today but you will follow me afterward. And when you read even a simple reading of the book of Acts, chapter three, chapter four, chapter five, chapter 12, Peter is gonna be following in the tracks of Jesus as far as persecution, as far as being a disciple of Jesus. Jesus says that, you know what? A disciple's not above his master. If they called me Beelzebub, they're gonna call you Beelzebub. If they killed me, they're gonna kill you. Uh, get ready for that path. And so, uh, it's all part of this, the signification. Is that a word? Signification. Yes, it is now. Okay, write that down. Uh, signifying by what death Peter would die and by what death he would glorify God. What a wonderful thing to think of our deaths being deaths that glorify the Lord. Just no matter how we are, whatever our deathbed looks like, many people want to die that death of honor on the battlefield or something, you know, and there's some sort of glory in that. And, and that may be true, but man, a, a great death would be a death that comes from a life that lived glorifying God, a life that honored the Lord, a life that was ready to die for Jesus at any moment, because it was all about his kingdom and all about his glory. Peter would die a death that brought glory to the Lord. It would have an aspect of it, of stretching out his hands which was understood in the ancient world to widely refer to crucifixion. So essentially a prophecy here over Peter that he would be crucified, that he would have his arms stretched out so that they would be bound to that patibulum, that cross beam. We studied it when we studied Jesus' crucifixion. He would have 
those big seven-inch spikes go through the median nerve uh, as he would follow Jesus. He would follow the path that Jesus walked in. It would be some 34 years after this time with Jesus, this long walk on the beach, that Peter would end up being crucified. But it's interesting, Fox's Book of Martyrs tells us a little more about Peter's death, uh, even that concerning what happened to his wife that day. Uh, According to Eusebius, Peter's wife was martyred the same day that Peter was famously crucified. In fact, Peter's wife was executed first. And here's an account of what happened that day. They say, accordingly, that when the blessed Peter saw his own wife let out to die, he rejoiced because of her summons and her return home and called her to very encouragingly and comfortingly addressing her by name and saying, O thou, remember the Lord. Such was the marriage of the blessed and their perfect disposition toward those dearest to them. What an incredible thing that Peter saw his wife going home, as it says, and he said, remember Christ, remember Christ. Now, another history tells us that Peter was actually given an opportunity to escape from this death. Uh, Just as he escaped in the book of Acts a number of times, uh, miraculous deaths, he was actually being led out of Rome uh, to, to escape And uh, I can't remember the history exactly, I've heard it a couple different ways, but that the Lord appeared to him and said, no, this time, this time you're coming home to me. And so go back into the city and submit yourself to the executors. And so he turned around and he went back with his wife when he could have escaped uh, to, to be executed. And that when he went to the place of crucifixion, just right after his wife, I'll read you a couple different uh, accounts of this. Jerome writes that Jesus was, uh, I'm sorry, that Peter was crucified, his head being down and his feet upward, himself so requiring it because he was, he said, unworthy to be crucified after the same form and manner that the Lord was. So it came his time to be crucified and he said, oh, I couldn't take the same position as my Lord Throw me upside down. Uh, Crucify me upside down. Uh, Eusebius, Prudentius, Chrysostom, and Augustine all wrote, uh, and would back this up from Clark, ancient writers state that about 34 years after this, Peter was crucified and that he deemed it so glorious a thing to die for Christ that he begged to be crucified with his head downward, not considering himself worthy to die in the same posture which his Lord did. Jerome also says that he was crowned with martyrdom that day under Nero, being crucified with his head downwards, his feet upwards, because he alleged himself to be unworthy of being crucified in the same manner of his Lord. And then martyr Justin Martyr also wrote, the Christian in death can glorify God. Justin Martyr confessed of himself that seeing the piety of Christians in their life and the patience of Christians in their death, he gathered that that was the truth that they so constantly professed and sealed up with their blood. You know, to the world, they think that if they kill a Christian, 
that they're extinguishing the lamp of the Lord. But church history confirms what the Bible has to say that, and I think it was just Justin Martyr that wrote, that the blood of the saints is the seed of the gospel. That wherever Christians are slain for the kingdom of heaven, it only um, uh, pronounces the spread of the gospel and increases the spread of the gospel. And we'll see that in the book of Acts. And so kind of a, kind of a hard breakfast with Jesus on the beach, you know, uh, we're going to read in just a second that it seems that Peter and Jesus went for a little walk away from the disciples. And, uh, and in that walk, Peter is told how he's going to die. And that ended up being the case of how this hero of the faith would lay his life down for the Lord. And so while they're on their walk, verse 20 tells us, working through John 21 here, then Peter turning around saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So it appears that they were walking, that maybe the first time Jesus said, follow me, that he was actually saying, hey, follow me. Let's, you know, you and me, you know. And uh, my, my pastor always used to do that to me. We'd be uh, wrapping stuff up at the church and he'd have to go. He's my boss, you know, and, and he'd say, hey, walk me to my car, you know. And we'd go for a walk to his car and, uh, and he'd be like kind of laying me out on some things that we needed to get done and encouraging me and praying for me. And maybe one time uh, got in the car and started driving while he was still talking. <laughs> you know, uh, actually it didn't happen to me, it happened to somebody else. But anyways, <laughs> just like, hey, walk with me. Now, okay, run with me. Okay, sorry. You know, um, but, uh, you know, Jesus, you know, he just learned it from Jesus. Like, hey, walk with me. Hey, you know, uh, surely I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you know how you denied me those three times? I'm going to give you a, another chance. You're going to actually, uh, you're going to live for me. You're going to live for me and you're going to die for me. And so as they were walking, there's always that one guy that just can't leave you alone and give you a little private time with the Lord, right? And here's John and he's walking, following. He's got one of those big like bullhorns connected to his ears. Like, you know, what, what are they, what's going on in that little conversation? And Peter turns and sees this disciple, and, and John himself gives a threefold description of, of himself, okay? Did you catch it? Number one, Peter looked and saw it. Number one, the disciple that Jesus loved following him. John, throughout the gospel, quite a few times calls himself that, the disciple that Jesus loved. And you may notice a little bit of, uh, when you read the gospels, you see a little bit of, a little competition between the disciples, right? There's different times where they're arguing with each other about who gets to be at the right hand of the Father, in his kingdom or the right hand of Jesus in his kingdom. You know, there's a little bit of, well, I'm the better disciple or I've been around the longest. And so a little bit of competition going on there. And Jesus has to encourage them and lecture them and rebuke them uh, to be servants and to put other people before themselves. But even John and Peter would have a little friendly competition. You might remember in our resurrection account just a couple weeks ago that when they heard that Jesus rose from the dead, they had a foot race, an early morning foot race to the empty tomb. And John made sure to write down that, you know, he, you know, he was a track star back in his day and he outrun Peter, outran Peter and got to the tomb first, you know? And so here he just wants the reader to just know, I mean, just so you know, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved, you know, you guys ever play that game with your kids, you know, at the table, like, Hey, guess which one of you we love the most, you know, and then just watch him go at it a little bit. And you know, sometimes there's tears, you know, and you got to reaffirm, you know, well, we love all of you the same, especially this one. But, you know, um, no, I'm just kidding. It's, it's a horrible game to play. 
And sometimes your kids can't take a joke. That's all I'm saying. Uh, and so he's the disciple that Jesus loved. Well, don't you love all of us? Nope, especially this one. Um, secondly, he had an intimate relationship with Jesus in those Middle Eastern cultures of the reclining and the eating. And, and at that last supper, leaning at Jesus' breast and having that close final couple hours uh, supping with the Lord. And in that same conversation, Jesus would say, one of you is going to betray me. And John was there, uh, and he's, he's kind of just bolstering his authority as an apostle to be writing this letter as a witness. I was there, you guys, and, and so that, this is who I am. I had a conversation there with the Lord, and here are my credentials. Um, and so Peter looked at that one. Peter looked at that guy, verse 21. He sees John, and he says to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? What about this guy, John? You're precious, you know, the one that you love. What kind of death is he going to die? What kind of life is he going to live? Now, I mean, you got to ask the question, is this more of some of the selfishness coming from among the disciples? Or is it a genuine concern for this younger, loved apostle? Peter really represents all of us here. We find it easy to deflect any personal challenge from Jesus Wondering about other people and worrying about other people and other disciples and what charge are they getting from the Lord and how are they getting corrected from the Lord? You know, what about them? As Peter gets this, not a casual, but crucial obligation to follow Jesus, even in the same manner that he would die, Peter says, wait a minute, am I the only one that's going to go this way? And interesting that out of all of the other disciples, Peter's going to point to the one that would not die a martyr's death. I mean, he would, he would have a rough time at it. He would be persecuted and exiled. And some histories say that he was boiled alive in, a, in hot oil before he was exiled to the island of Patmos as he pastored the church in Ephesus, you know, uh, that, that he did receive persecution. But he's the only one that wouldn't actually die a martyr's death there. And so, you know, Peter's asking about this one. Perhaps friendly interest, perhaps nosiness, perhaps jealousy causes him to ask this question. But Jesus' answer says that it wasn't out of just an innocent, I'm wondering what's going to happen to my buddy, you know. There was actually some, some jealousy and some worry, preoccupation about something that was really none of his business. And, and it's good application for us today that as the Lord is giving us the calling and working in us specifically that we not preoccupy ourselves with unhealthy, unlawful, worrying about what God's doing with the others. Sometimes the Lord just has something to deal with us about. And, uh, you know, there is good, healthy consideration of one another as a church. We live with one another. We dwell with one another. Uh, we are to consider one another and give thoughtful, intelligent thought towards one another of how we can stir one another up towards love and good work. But then there's also a sinful aspect of it where we're, we're more worried about what God's doing with other people than what the Lord's doing with us and how he's calling towards us. One man called it the what about him syndrome, right? That no matter what the Lord's doing, the Lord might be doing something good or you might be going through a trial or you might be corrected or you might have a commission on your life that's not the pleasant one. Or a calling or a gifting on your life that's not the, you know, the glorious one. And you might have that what about him or what about her syndrome. 
There's a couple of dangers in that. You got to watch out for, first of all, the danger of encroaching jealousy. I mean, right away, Peter gets, I mean, you're having breakfast with Jesus and a walk on the beach. Why don't you just, Lord, just keep speaking to me. What else you got? Oh, just, just keep talking, keep talking. You know, instead it's like, hey, what about him? <laughs> right away, worried about him. Second thing that can be something to be aware of would be debilitating inadequacy. Just worried about, you know what, I'm just nothing and this guy's everything and I'm just, I'm never going to have the shot at it for God's kingdom or in the ministry, but this person always is. And you're just going to be doing yourself down and which is pride, you know, walking in pride and, and false humility when the Lord loves you and is working in you just as much as anybody else. I've struggled with both of those things in ministry over my life. And I'm young, but I've been involved in full-time ministry for about 25 to 26 years now. And I remember specific times in my life where I had what about him syndrome and what about her syndrome. I remember one time, it was later on when I was on staff at Calvary Chapel Corvallis, and about seven and a half years I'd been the high school pastor and uh, I just, you know, you kind of assume like, oh, maybe as the high school pastor, then I would, uh, you know, when the college pastor for Oregon State University, when he moves on, I'll probably have first shot at that job, you know, and, and I remember that that time came and someone else was given that spot and not just someone else, but one of my dudes, one of my disciples, one of my snotty nosed little brats that I raised up taught the books of the Bible, taught how to, you know, minister and all this. This guy was given the job. And I just remember being like really uh, fraught with bitterness, you know, and just discouraged and frustrated with my boss, with my friend, with my pastor. And, uh, and it just, I, I wrestled with that. And, you know, I kind of vocalized like, hey, I was, you know, seems to me that like this would be the way it should go. And, and I just, it was, it was summertime. It was right before the fall. We are getting ready to start this big ministry for the youth in Corvallis where the college, Oregon State, all the high schoolers and even all the middle schoolers would be getting together for what was called One Voice. And it was going to be this big worship and evangelistic event. And, uh, and, and I was playing second fiddle in it. And I just remember just being mad and bummed and discouraged and, just feeling like, you know, like no, like none of my time had mattered. And it was summertime, we were getting ready for that fall, and I went on vacation, and we were at Lake Shasta on a houseboat, and I just came across a picture the other day from that trip, and everyone's having fun and jumping off the side of the houseboat, you know, and, and, and I'm, there's a picture of me, and I'm sitting on the front of a boat, just simmering. You know, just mad and frustrated and ended up having just another conversation with my pastor and my friend and he said, man, I know you're disappointed. I know you're discouraged. You just got to know that I see the Lord's hand on your life. It's, it has nothing to do with that you're not useful and that we don't value you and that you don't even have an amazing future ahead of you. I just really feel that for what the Lord is going to do, that it's this other guy who's like really built and fit for this. Like this is who he is. I mean, he's cruising with the skinny jeans, you know? He's got his ear pierced. He's in a band. These guys listen to him. You, you look good in skinny jeans. I'm not going to lie, but, um, you know, 
So you're getting kind of old, Rory. You know, I'm just kidding. And, uh, and so here's the amazing thing, though, was that as I just trusted my leaders, I trusted my leadership, I trusted my pastor, I began to see that it was indeed the Lord. And as time went on, I saw, and it's funny how this happens, because even now, you know, a number of years later, almost 15 years later, I look back and I go, that was so the Lord, and he was the guy for that, and, uh, and that wasn't the sphere that God had given me. And, but that is the story of if we're going to be in the church and if we're going to be in ministry and if we're going to be commissioned by the Lord, every single one of us, did you know here today that God, if you're a Christian, if you're a born again Christian, that God has given you at least one spiritual gift to use to build up this church and to edify the body. Did you know that? Some of you more than, some of you have gift sets that God has given to you. And you need to know that God is, he's, he knows you, he values you. And you have a specific place that God's called you and an ability that he's going to provide to serve in your local church for the edification of the body, the church, and the glory of God, okay? And you just need to know now that the Lord knows your name. He knows who you are. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says that the Holy Spirit gives the gifts as he wills, okay? In fact, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It goes on to say there, and it's using a picture of a body uh, as a metaphor for the church, okay? And it says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, what would be the hearing? Or if the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he is pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? All right, so we are a body and every one of you, if you're born again, and if you call this your home, this is your local church, God has a place for you, all right? You may be useful like a finger, you may be useful like a nose, you may be useful like a nose hair, you know, even those things have their use, right? Uh, you know, and I'm so thankful that, that I have two feet and they're right where God put them on my body. I'm so glad I don't have a foot where my hand should be, you know, and a hand where my foot should be. You know, I'm so glad my ear isn't here and my eye isn't here. Although that could be kind of cool. Like, oh, gotcha, you know. Uh, you know, but it's all right where God has, with design and with great thought, he's put it there. And it's the same with you guys. You know, you may get discouraged that that you're not in this sphere, that you're not up on stage, you know, and it seems like God just got you in the cleaning ministry. Am I ever going to get out of the cleanest cleaning ministry? Guys, don't despise the day of small things. Be faithful in those little things. And if the Lord sees fit, he'll make you ruler over much. But, you know, I just remember, it's going to be a temptation for you to have that what about him or what about her syndrome. It'll always be there. You know, and I just remember there's times where I would leave Calvary Corvallis and I'd be frustrated after a service because I'd see that it seems like, oh, the new cool person that's come into the church. Oh, they're up on stage and they're singing or they're being recognized. And then, and then they're gone and I'm here and I've been faithful for these number of years. And, and I just thank the Lord that I just remember leaving like a Christmas Eve service. And there was a time where my sister and I were like, can you believe like Rob just talked about her and. 
and this new person and how great their voice was and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, man, we've been here for like, since we were 15 and you know, what are we, chopped liver and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just so thankful that the Lord just shut us up. And by the time we would get to our car, like he would just remove that from us and take that from us. Because when you let that fester and simmer and you just let a root of bitterness grow deep, it's going to cause division, destruction. It's going to cause discouragement, church splits, all of that stuff. And you know, you got to know that the Lord is faithful. He's called you to be who you are. He's going to put you where you need to be. Don't worry about the other stuff. God's concerned about those people and he'll put them where they need to be as well. And so beware of what about him or what about her syndrome, okay? Uh, there's times where there's pastors out there that, you know, they've got the, the just amazing social media presence, you know, they got their Insta snap updated every 20 seconds, they're doing a selfie, they got the cool hair and the cool pants and the cool this, that and the other, and, and sometimes I'll be like, who is this guy, you know, or whatever, and where did he come from? He's just a kid, and the Lord's like, jealous much? <laughs> And I'll be like, no, not much, <laughs> you know? And he'll be like, that's, that's not the gift that I've given you. That's not the place that I've put you. You got to trust that that's for him. This is for you. And rejoice in the sphere of influence that I give you. As Peter says, let anyone minister with the ability that God provides. Okay? And be thankful for it. And so be, beware of these dangers. Beware of the danger of idle curiosity. Leon Morris said the direction given by Jesus is an emphatic way of reminding the impulsive leader of the apostolic band that there are some things that are just outside of his providence or province. There's some things that are just none of my business. What about him? And Jesus just kind of says to Peter, like, none your business, none ya, right? Jesus says to him in verse 22, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Or at Philip's translation, it's very helpful. If it is my wish, return Jesus, for him to stay until I come, is that your business, Peter? You must follow me. You must follow me. And so then this saying went out, it says in verse 23, there was a saying that went out among the brethren, kind of a rumor, that this disciple would never die. Okay, isn't it funny how like rumors and false things get started spread around the church? Keep your ear to the uh, keep your ear to the ground. You'll start. Is that the saying? Keep your ear to the railroad track ground. Some Western movie you see it. They, you know, uh, keep your ear out for it, and you'll start seeing like all these strange things circulating. You know, and you're like, boy, all I really know is this. <laughs> just or just keep me here. You know, I was just talking to a brother after first service. He's like, man. I guess there's some crazy things going on up there. I just heard like, like the Bible of Barnabas was found and it says that Jesus was never even crucified. And was he like mad about the stuff that happened with like Paul and stuff that then you'd write a different gospel? I'm like, boy, here's what I know. Let's learn about Bible inspiration and inerrancy and where the Bible came from. It's very important for every Christian to know. Okay. We're going to be teaching you guys that here soon at the church. Uh, but also don't concern yourself with stuff that's just kind of out of the wheelhouse, you know? Uh, he's like, man, then I saw another news thing that they think they found Jesus's ring in a, in the sea, the mud of the sea somewhere. And like, it's his ring, you know, and he, but he's totally like, this is just bizarre. This doesn't sound right. I'm like, you're, you have good discernment. Like 
Don't get all preoccupied on, you know, that's how the Indiana Jones crusade happened. I don't know if you know, when the guys melt from the inside out because they wanted that, what was it called? The, the sacred goblet, the holy grail, right? You know, sacred goblet, you know, it's like homeboys could have been spared a really gruesome death if they would have just been like, hey, I don't even read what I mean, doesn't say anywhere here that, you know, go find a holy goblet with the Nazis. Like it's not in here, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to keep this close, you know, but we do have some fun adventures planned for Israel, November 2022. If you want to come with us, we're going to be explorers. Okay. Uh, and so there's this crazy saying, John never died. John's never going to die, right? This rumor went around. Uh, it was even, the rumor even went into the early church period uh, that he died, but he didn't die. That if you went over the ground of his grave, that you would feel the ground heave from his breathing because it's like, this is like, come on people, like just checking all reason at the door these days. All right. You know, um, and, and John even gives the commentary on it and the explanation. Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if I will, that he remain till I come, what's the matter with you, right? What's the matter with you? It's just like when the kids are like, Hey, you know, can I have an Oreo or can I have an Oreo? And you're like, no, no, you, know, you can have one and you can have one. And then big old Russell just got done working out. He's like, hey, dad, mind if I have a protein shake and an Oreo or a cup? I'm like, son, you can have five Oreos. And then everyone's like, oh, dad said Russell could have the whole pack of Oreos. I'm like, I didn't say you could have the pack of Oreos. You know, you guys get one. Just worry about it. Russell gets a couple more, you know. Uh, what's the matter with you guys, you know. And, uh, and so, but what about John? What about John, this remaining disciple, the one who did not die a martyr's death? Um, Tasker writes, his unique contribution will come later after he has settled in the pagan cosmopolitan city of Ephesus. He will recall men from drifting on certain uncharted seas of vague religious experiences and abstract speculation to the sure and certain anchorage of God's self-revelation in the historical figure of Jesus, the Word made flesh. Uh, there's a great um, story about John and what would happen to him later on. Uh, I'll just read it. it says, uh, in Asia, early Christian writers identify Serenthus as an adversary of the apostle John. According to Irenaeus, his teacher Polycarp told the story that John the Apostle rushed out of a bathhouse in Ephesus without bathing when he found out that Serenthus was inside, exclaiming, let us fly, lest even the bathhouse fall down, because Serenthus, the enemy of the truth, is inside. Irenaeus also relates that John sought by proclamation of his gospel to remove that error which by Serenthus had been disseminated among men. So Serenthus, you know, teaching a false gospel, a pagan gospel, and John would use his gospel, the one that was written, John chapter 20 tells us, so that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. That John who preached that gospel, man, he couldn't even, you know, take a hot tub with a false teacher. You know, he's like, everyone out! The balls are, wall, walls Walls, I was supposed to say walls. <laughs> it's really important to enunciate while, while preaching. The walls are going <laughs> to... Moving along. All right. 
I think we're done here. Worship team, come on up. Uh, let's get it out. Okay. Barclay says, Paul might be the pioneer of Christ. You don't need it, Joey. You don't got to go. You don't got to leave. I know. It was one mess up. Oh, you're coming up here. Okay. Yeah. Come on up, guys. That's fine. Let's get this thing over with. Yeah, come on. Literally, they're all coming. They're like, we got to we gotta stop this. I do appreciate Barkley. Not Charles. Everyone. Paul might be the pioneer of Christ. Peter might be the shepherd of Christ. But John was the witness of Christ. And so just like in our spheres of influence, you guys, some of you guys, you're going to be called to go minister in this way. You're going to be missionaries. You're going to be going off. Some of you may be martyrs. Some of you may be imprisoned for the gospel. We just had a guy from, uh, I think, Madras imprisoned, you know, kidnapped in Haiti. And for like 11 days or something, they were kidnapped. Um, this, this is happening today, all right? People are martyred as missionaries. Uh, and some of you, your, your sphere of ministry and influence may look just completely different. You are... You know, you're the church gardener, you know, that's just taking care of a place of the house of the Lord so people can come and just have their hearts fostered in worshiping Jesus. And, and your job for the next 40 years is making sure there's no weeds in these flower beds around here. And you know what? Thank you. Thank you. Do it for Jesus. Pull the weeds for Jesus. Be faithful in those little things. Serve the tables for Jesus. But, Jesus, uh, but Peter does say that he's coming back. You know, if, even if I wanted John to stay alive till I come back, then, then what's that to you? But Jesus wants it to be known that he's coming back in what's called the imminent return of Jesus. Imminent. I had to look that word up today. I wanted to make sure it was what I thought it was. By the way, there's imminent and imminent. Didn't know if you know that. And cinnamon, uh, which is also good. Um, but imminent speaks of something that is hanging over you. All right, and something that could happen at any minute, something that's hanging over you. And it speaks of Jesus is coming. It's just hanging over us. He's going to come at any minute, imminent, any minute, right? Coming at any moment. You read the Olivet Discourse, and Jesus speaks about watching and waiting and looking up, and that the wicked servant says that my Lord delays his coming. And in Jesus' mind, you know, Jesus is saying, hey, I don't know the day or the hour, but even if I wanted John to live, for the next 60 years or the next 2,000 years, what's that to you? I'm coming back. And, uh, and that causes the Christian to want to live a life of purity, a life of holiness, First John tells us, a life of urgency that's preaching the gospel and telling others about him. And so closing out the book here, this is the t- disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. John the evangelist was all about having a testimony, having a witness, and being an eyewitness. And he says, I'm, just, this, I'm the one who wrote this. I'm telling you, it's true. And verse 25, a great closer. There are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Man, think of what John wrote. 21 chapters of testifying of Jesus. Testifying of Jesus being God. The healings, the compassion, the miracles, the exorcism of demons, the calming of the storm, the transportation across the Sea of Galilee, the comparison of the feasts 
uh, in the temple and around Jerusalem to the way that Jesus is coming in the gospel to bring light and life to everyone who would believe on him. And you know, all that Jesus did, if we were to write it out, man, the great uh, library, one of the largest ever known in Alexandria, Egypt, it couldn't contain all the books. You guys ever been in one of those libraries um, that, you know, it's like in the movies, you know, in the mansions, you know, and it's got uh, from, the, from the floor to the ceiling books and all the way around the room and it's got the ladder with the wheels on it. Anyone ever got to ride one of those? Oh, it's my dream. I can die a happy man if I get to slide on one of those ladders, right? You know, like every one of those books and every one of those pages couldn't describe and tell of what Jesus did in his years on the earth. It reminds me of the hymn called The Love of God is Greater Far. Have you guys ever heard that? The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. Listen to this picture. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stock on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. We're going to sing a song here as we close about the name of Jesus and how worthy he is. I think John closes that just with that stirring up in our hearts that this Jesus, there's no one else like him. No one else has books like that written about him. His name is amazing. His name is marvelous. And his name is worthy for us to believe in. And by believing in him that he's the son of God, we'll have life in his name. Amen. So as we close in song, why don't you put your things aside and stand with me. This great name of Jesus is worthy of hearts adoring him, living him for him, obeying him, preaching the truth for him. So maybe for you today, for the first time ever, you would just tell Jesus right now, Jesus, your name is great. Jesus, no one has ever loved like you. No one has ever been a hero like you. No one has ever been self-sacrificing like you. You're the one that the whole world longs for to come and rescue us from sin and death. So would you do that in me today, Lord? maybe the Lord would just deal with us in this room today just from the what about him syndrome we we can have genuine concern for a brother or sister we can just regular think about someone so that we could stir up love and good works and maybe have a ministry to that person those are good things but maybe we've just been paralyzed by jealousy or fear of inadequacy or just concerning ourselves with stuff that just, it's not in our wheelhouse. 
We can just trust the Lord when the Lord says, hey, here's what I've got for you right now, right in front of you. I'm thinking of you. I value you. I care for you. I've got a task for you. So rejoice in it and get after it. There may be a call for you today.